The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. All right, Mark chapter 12. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent servants to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed him. And so with many others. Some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other. A beloved son. Finally... He sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants. And give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him. And they went away. Father, would you help us as we come to your word? Would you help us have clear understanding in our minds? Would our hearts be kindled to love Jesus more? Would we be moved to obedience? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Jacob, for preaching last week. As we continue on this Wednesday before the Friday that Jesus is crucified. And it's a, it's a busy day for Jesus, one filled with, with much teaching. We saw last week as the religious leaders began to challenge Jesus' authority, by whose authority is he able to say these things? This parable that we find today comes right after that interaction. There is no break. We have a break in a chapter break. There is no break here. It's, it's a continuation of Jesus talking to these religious leaders. There were, immediately following this exchange over authority, there, there were three parables that Jesus taught them. Mark and Luke only record one of the three. Matthew records the other two. 
And it is this one parable that is recorded by both Mark and Luke. It's, it's important to understand the, the flow of what's taking place here and how this is all working together because it informs us on who the them is in verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. You, you see that, that word and that use a lot in, in Mark and you see it even a lot in uh, Mark chapter 11. And sometimes the them are the disciples, sometimes the them are the crowds. Sometimes the them are the religious leaders. Sometimes the them is all of them. This them is, I believe, the religious leaders. The ones that had just engaged him in this question of by whose authority does he say and do these things. You see the flow in Mark chapter 11 verse 27 and they came again to Jerusalem and he was walking in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. This is the makeup of the them, the chief priests, the scribes, and the, the elders. This would constitute the Sanhedrin, the ruling party of the Jews. In verse 33, so they answered Jesus we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by whose authority I do these things. So that they and the them are these religious leaders. That's clear in verse 33 in chapter 11. It's the same them then in verse 1, chapter 12. Mark tells us that he began to teach them in parables. In parables. Now, what is a parable? We need to understand what a parable is to understand what Jesus is doing and what's happening here in chapter 12. A parable is a story that is made up by Jesus. It's, it's a fictional story, one that, that Jesus comes up with that is used to make a point. It's, it's an illustration to drive home a certain meaning or to make a certain point. Sometimes Jesus would teach in parables so that his point or his meaning could be hidden. See that in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Sometimes Jesus would teach larger contexts in parables so that seeing they wouldn't see, hearing they wouldn't hear, or they wouldn't understand. Things would be hidden or veiled. And normally he would go behind and tell his disciples what he meant by the parables. So sometimes the point of the parable was for the meaning to be hidden. But other times, the point of the parable was for the meaning to be made clear. To be made clear to those that Jesus would tell the parable to and that Jesus would tell the parable about. And this is, as we just noted, told to the religious leaders of Jerusalem not only was it told to them, it was told about them, and Jesus told it so that the meaning would be explicitly clear to them as to who he was talking about 
and what he was saying. And the reality is, on this occasion, with this parable, there was clear understanding. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying and who he was saying it about. We see that in verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told them the parable against them. Told the parable against them. So they understood what Jesus was saying and who he was saying it about. So let's look at this parable. Let's see what it is that Jesus is saying to them and also what he's saying to us. It is a story about a landowner who built a vineyard and left it in the charge of others, left it in the charge of hired men. These are tenant farmers. They don't own the land, they don't own the vineyard, but they're farmers. A wealthy person owns the vineyard, has worked to create this vineyard, and has left this vineyard in the charge of farmers. This was a common practice in their day. Wealthy men would develop vineyards and leave it to farmers to manage it. And then when the time came, they would come to take their rightful part of the harvest or their rightful part of the, the profits. Just, just for a clear understanding, culturally, it would be four to five years that one would work the vineyard to develop healthy fruit that could then be harvested. And at that year four or year five, then this landowner would come to receive his portion of the harvest. They understood this. There's a societal component to this story that they would have understood. This was common. It's not common necessarily to us, but it would be common to them. So they would understand culturally how this would be common. But there is more importantly a spiritual and scriptural component to this story. The story of a wealthy landowner who's created a vineyard and left it in charge of others to tend and to care and then would send his servants to them. There was a scriptural component. One that these religious leaders would have and seem to have understood immediately. And that is that this vineyard is representative of Israel. So Jesus is telling a story of a vineyard and a landowner who creates a vineyard and leaves it in the charge of others and would send his servants to reap from it, but his servants would be mistreated. And he would eventually send his son and his son would be killed. They would have understood that this story to be allegory or illustration of how God is dealing with Israel. Because throughout the scriptures, Israel is known as God's vineyard. There is a number of places where that is seen, but there's one in particular in the Old Testament, there's one passage that serves as our hermeneutical key 
are key to understanding this parable. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 5. Keep your finger in Mark 1. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 5. This is the key passage in the Old Testament to understand what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders and what they understood him to be saying. It's found in Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. See, this same imagery that Jesus is is using here in Mark chapter 12. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a, a pit. In Isaiah 5, it talks about pulling these stones, clearing it out of the stones out of it. Israel is a very rocky place. It's a very stony place. And so if you're going to build a vineyard, one of the first things you're going to do is go into that vineyard and take the stones out of the vineyard. And then as you take the stones out of the vineyard, you would use those stones to build the terraced walls on the sides of these hills. This is what we see in Isaiah 5. This is what we see in Mark 12. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it only yielded wild grapes. He looked for it to produce a good harvest, but it did not produce a good harvest. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? See, this is allegory in that this this landowner did the work necessary to have a good vineyard but yet it did not produce good fruit. What more then could I have done? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And then here's the explanation. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. See, Isaiah is saying God has done all of this for Israel. God has worked to create for himself a people. 
a people of righteousness and justice, a people to bear good fruit. But they have done the opposite. You see, these men hearing this parable of Jesus would have most certainly known this scripture. They were scribes, they were Pharisees. They would have known it. They would have known what Jesus meant when he talks about this vineyard. Israel was known as the vineyard. Interestingly, not only would they have known of Isaiah 5, but they would have had a visual reminder right in front of them. Most scholars put this interaction happening on, the, on Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico. It was an, an outdoor porch outside the temple that was, was the place that you would come to before you entered into the temple. And this is where Jesus is teaching. And as you entered into the temple, there was above the entryway a large ornate carving of a grapevine. And it would have been huge and it would have been gilded in gold and the grapes would have been jewels. And it was the imagery of Israel being the vineyard of God. So they would have heard Jesus teaching this parable to them. They would have known Isaiah 5. They would have seen this visual um, right in front of them. That Israel is God's people for His blessings that He has worked for. And He has done great things for That God has attempted to cultivate His people for them to be a blessed people. The people that God had chosen for Himself to show His glory to and to show His glory through. They would have understood exactly the point that Jesus was making in the story. That a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. The vineyard is Israel and the tenants that God has left in charge are its spiritual leaders. Now we have this this issue here and part of understanding parables is to understand what's literal and what isn't and looking for the greater meaning in in the story of you know, the, this, this landowner leaving, this idea that God left. And while it is true that God is ever-present, He did leave Israel different than He was with them through the Exodus, right? Because God was, He was with them and pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. I mean, his his presence was there. It was in the ark. It was with them. And when they entered into the promised land, there's a sense in which that God's presence left them. God ever present, but not with them in the way that he was in the exodus. And now there are religious leaders who are in charge, who've been entrusted with the word of God to honor God and to obey His commandments and to work like God would like them to work. God has expectations. And His expectations of them 
were high. What are these expectations? Well, God's expectations of them, it flows right out of where we've been in the ministry of Jesus, what we've been seeing, the reason why Jesus cleansed the temple. If you remember, was because they had made it difficult for the Gentiles to come and to see. It flows right into what we will see in Pentecost and the expansion of the church. And that is God's expectation that Israel be a light to the Gentiles. That's God's expectation of Israel. I will be a blessing to you so that you will be a blessing. This is the covenant of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the beginning of God's choosing of the people of Israel. This is the first mention of the vineyard, the place that they will go. Go from your country and from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is God's expectation. I will bless you, Israel, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's expectation of Israel was for Israel to be the light that shines to the nations. That God would bless them and in his blessing of them, they would bless the nations. This is why Isaiah prophesied this of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 42, starting in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. This was God's expectations of Israel. This was his expectation of his vineyard. This is Psalm 96. Starting in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous work among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be 
praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. This is what God is doing through Israel, through his vineyard, calling to himself a people, a special people, so that on them he could pour out his blessings. And through them he could shine a light of his blessings to the nations. That's the fruit that God expected out of Israel. That's the good grapes. But that's not what he's gotten. That was the problem, the cleansing of the temple. And that's the problem all through the Old Testament and now into the New. Jesus tells them this problem, verse 2. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him. And they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. And finally he sent them to saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants who said... They said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. and The inheritance will be ours. And so they took him and they killed him. And they threw him out of the vineyard. You see, God had left his vineyard in the hands of these religious leaders. And generation after generation after generation, God's expectation of them was to be a light to the nations. To live differently. To bear fruit in keeping with righteousness and justice. To proclaim the glories of God. But what did they do? They wanted the glory for themselves. And so God sent his servants to them. This is in the story, the landowner sending servants. This is illustration of the Old Testament prophets. That God had sent to Israel. And Jesus says, how how did you treat them? You treated them badly. You stoned them. You killed them. You beat them. That's exactly what we see in Israel's history. That's exactly what we see in the Old Testament. You see Elijah driven into the wilderness. You see Isaiah sown in two. You see Zechariah stoned to death. You see John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, beheaded. This is how they've treated the Old Testament prophets. The ones that I sent, this is how you treated them. I've sent my servants to bring back fruit and you killed them. 
Until ultimately, the landowner says, I'll send my son. I'll send my beloved son. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly the claim that he was making, that he is the son. And Jesus is foretelling how he is going to be treated. He will be taken out of the vineyard and he'll be killed. And look at what Jesus has to say of their motives. But those tenants said to one another, verse 7, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. You see, the son has come. He's the only one left. That means that if we kill the son, then the vineyard will be ours. See, Jesus is laying an accusation on them that's right and that's true. He is clearly showing them their motives, that they wanted the glory, the power, the honor for themselves. That's the history of the religious leaders of Israel. Now, this is a shocking story. And the point is, focused on these tenant farmers. That's Jesus' point here. That's why they say they knew he was talking about them. But just for a second, let's think about the landowner. The landowner is God in this story. And what do you see of this landowner? You see a patient, long-suffering, merciful God that sends servant after servant after servant after servant. And eventually sends the very one that means the most to him. His beloved son. What a merciful God we serve. A God that graciously and kindly, time after time, keeps coming back and calling and calling and calling. Calling to repentance, calling to trust, calling to faith, calling to fall down before him and worship him in the splendor of his glory, calling to be a light to the nations. And he may have been calling you. Maybe he's been calling you back time after time, day after day, maybe for months. Maybe for years, God's been calling. Come to him. His mercy is great. What a gracious landowner. His mercy is great. But make no mistake, so is his judgment. And he will not bear with you forever. This is the question, verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Now, Mark doesn't tell us that the people answered, but Matthew does. 
Matthew tells us in Matthew 21, verse 41, that they said to him, they answered the question, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. He, I love, he will put those wretches to a wretched death. He'll kill them. They're shocked. They're they're rightly shocked by this story. What's the landowner going to do? He's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to execute judgment for their actions. This is what Jesus says. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Matthew Records it this way in 21 verse 3. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. This parable is the story that was illustrated in the cursing of the fig tree. God curses the fig tree because though it looked like it might have fruit, it didn't yield fruit. And the fig tree, if you remember, the fig tree was imagery of Israel. And now here is Israel who look like they have fruit, look like they have grapes, but they're just wild grapes. And so what is God going to do? He is going to destroy them. And He's going to give it to another. He's going to take the vineyard of God, the place of the blessings of God, he's going to take it from them and he's going to give it to another. And who are the others? The others are the Gentiles. He's going to take it from them and he's going to give it to us. See, this is Jesus foreshadowing what God is getting ready to do through His church. He's going to take the place, the blessings of God away from the Jews and He's going to give it to the Gentiles. And now the church of God, the body of Christ, will be the place that experiences the blessings of God and the salvations of of God and who will now be used by God to be a light to the nations. The church. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in your eyes. Now what scripture is that from? That's from Psalm 118. And I, I can't help but feel that Jesus' question here is, is, is a little sarcastic. Have you not read the scriptures? And then he quotes from the very scripture that they sung about him just two days before. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem, this crowd was singing Psalm 118. Have you not heard? Yeah, you've heard because you just sang it. But you missed the part where God said the stone that the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. I am the stone and you're the builders and you're rejecting me. 
and you think in your rejection of me, you're getting rid of me. But the reality is in your rejection of me, God is going to take me and he's going to exalt me and he's going to put me in the place of highest honor. And off of me, a whole new building will be formed. There's a lot of debate about the, the cornerstone. Is this a cornerstone or a capstone? And there's a difference between a cornerstone and a capstone. So a cornerstone is this first stone that's laid that the rest of the building is built off of. And the capstone is, you know, in an archway, that center stone. You know, that center stone's what holds all the rest. If it wasn't there, the whole thing would fall. Both are true of Jesus. He is the place where the building started, and he is the highest exalted of all. And that's what he is doing in the church. That's the, the language used about the church. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you were a, 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 a wandering, homeless Group, now you're people of his own possession. And what's God doing? He's building the church. And what's the language used, the imagery used in the New Testament of the church that we're a royal peace priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, and we are living stones. This is the whole imagery of what God is doing within the church. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone of a whole new building. The vineyard is gone. It's been trampled down. And now in its place, a whole new building made of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's what Jesus means in this parable. The vineyard is Israel. The tenants are its religious leaders. The servants are the Old Testament prophets. The son is Jesus. And you've mistreated God, and you've mistreated his servants, and you've mistreated his son every step along the way because you desired the glory for yourself. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. But how is God going to respond? God is going to respond in great judgment to you. And he will destroy the tenants. And he's going to give the vineyard to others. So what does this mean to us? It means that his church is now the vineyard. That is you and that is me. That God's purposes were never simply to have one nation, but to have all nations. And that's what God is doing in Christ Jesus. And that's what God is doing in the church. He is taking people from every nation and he is grafting them into one nation. This is the language used in the, in the New Testament. Y'all all right if we go a little over? I edited and edited and edited and edited, but there's just a lot in it that you can't edit out. 
Keep your finger in Mark. Flip to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Paul asks this question, verse 1 and 2. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Who is this this question about these people? This is the people of Israel. Has God rejected then, full stop, the people of Israel? By no means. Paul says, For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? And we start there in those two verses. We're going to jump down to verse 11 because I don't want us to listen to this parable and come to a place of what's known as replacement theology. Because I believe it goes a step too far. We don't want to say that God is totally done with Israel. Because He isn't. There are still, to this day, Jews who come to faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace. And we pray and we hope that every one of them do. But God has now dealt differently with them in that now not only is His blessings on Israel, but His blessings are on the whole world through the church. And that's Paul's greater point starting in verse 11. So I ask, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. This is the stumbling over Jesus. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass, that's the trespass of the Israelites, their lack of faith, their stumbling over Jesus... Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failures mean riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you, Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and the root is holy, and so are the branches holy. This is, this is Paul saying, I mean, if Israel is made holy... They were the first lump. If some of them are made holy and they're the root, 
then everything is made holy. In other words, God isn't done yet saving Jews. He's not done. But if some of the branches were broken off, those who stumble, those religious leaders, if they were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. God broke some of them off and now has grafted us into his promises, his covenant. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. And here's what this means for us. For if God did not spare the natural branches... Neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. You see, this is the same warning that Jesus was giving the Jews. Right? It's the same warning that Paul is giving us. Don't be arrogant and proud and haughty and look for the glory for yourself. But in faith, honor God. In faith, bear good fruit, keeping with righteousness and justice. Don't stumble over Jesus. Believe in Him through faith and follow in obedience. It wasn't the whole of Israel that Jesus condemned. It was those who stumbled over Jesus, those who rejected Him. And the same is true for the Gentiles. See, the Jews thought it was the whole of the Gentiles. But it's only those who rejected him. Church, in many ways, if you are here this morning, you are like the Jews in that you are privileged and you are blessed. You are privileged and blessed to be able to hear and to receive and to have the words of God, the commands of God. You are privileged and you are blessed to have people around you who are the chosen people of God. Just like Israel, you have been blessed. And God can use those blessings, the hearing of the word of God, to woo you to repentance. 
do not harden your hearts towards him. Because just as his judgment was sure to these religious leaders, his judgment is sure to us if we reject him. We must come to faith in Jesus Christ. What's, what's the application? The application is the same for those religious leaders as it is for us. Do not stumble over Jesus. Because in your stumbling over him, you will be crushed by him. Mark doesn't say it, but Luke does. Luke 20, verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Come to Jesus in faith and live a life that bears fruit. A light for the nations. The same expectations that God had on Israel are the same expectations that he has on you and on me. The same judgment that he executed on Israel is the same judgment he will execute on us if we're not faithful and bear good fruit. Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us be faithful followers of you coming to you first in faith and repentance seeing and believing that you are the blessed cornerstone on which everything is built you are the glorious capstone that holds everything together you are the chosen one you are the fulfillment of all the promises of God you are the one through which all nations are blessed. So Jesus, may we come to you in faith and repentance. May we find in you grace and mercy. And may we live lives of faithfulness, bearing fruit, being a light to the nations for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.